Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, um, or maybe you have an electronic device, and, but a print Bible is much better. Go to Romans 14. Romans 14. I'm going to read, this is going to be a longer text, I'm actually going to read Romans 14, 1 through 15, 7, okay? So it's going to be a little bit longer of a text. Uh, let me invite you to follow along uh, as, as I read. It won't be on the screen, so follow along in your copy. Romans 14, 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live in the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and have lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, I want to pause now. We've read this uh, very packed text, and we won't be able to unpack all of it. We won't be able to talk uh, about this in a way that, in one message, that really it deserves. But I do pray that we would be able to highlight what is important and that we'd make very specific application to our lives. Um, and I pray that your spirit would use this text to, to change us. And I pray that we'd be sensitive to your spirit's leading. For it is in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. When I, whenever I have to go to the doctor, one of the things that I cannot stand is this thing right here, the pain chart. I, I never know how to answer this question, okay? I, 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 I never know, like, where am I at on this, okay? I know I'm not a zero. I don't think I'm a 10, but I'm really not sure like how you quantify these smiley faces. This one's a little bit better, okay, all right, but it still isn't, uh, it, it doesn't really help to me. You know, and, and here's the reason. He says, I don't want to be that guy that um, says, okay, you know, I, I think I'm an eight, I'm maybe a nine, okay? And then someone else comes in with half his arm missing, the dog's still attached to his left leg, you know, and he's in the middle of passing a kidney stone, and he's going, ah, it's just a scratch, mate. You know, I, I, I don't want to be that guy. Then like, well, can I, can I revise my nine to a, to a one? You know, I, I, I don't know where I'm at. And, and so, so and then if that guy comes in, let's say I've been waiting for an hour to see a doctor because I have said injury, whatever it is, splinter, whatever it is. And this guy that I just described comes in and then they bring him in ahead of me right away. I'm not going to get upset by that. I'm not going to say, wait a minute here. This guy can't budge in line, right? I'm not going to do that. Now, why, why wouldn't I do that? Because it's this idea of triage, right? It's this idea of what is most important, and we have to make decisions based on that. So when I'm trying to figure out where I'm at in the pain chart, I don't know. But I do know that if someone comes in with a more severe injury than me, then he or she must get first priority because what is called triage, right? Well, some people have coined a term, uh, what's called theological triage. And that's really, I think, what's, gonna, what's going on in this text here. You see, everything in the Bible is important. Don't misunderstand me. It is all important. That's the reason why it's there. This book was compiled by the Holy Spirit for us. It, was, uh, it wasn't written necessarily to us, but it is written for us. It is important. It is all important. But it's not all equally important. Understand the nuance with that. And I can defend that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, when Paul starts talking about the resurrection, he says, I delivered to you of what is first importance. 
of what I received, okay? He says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. So he's saying, this is of first importance. And so there are things that are more important than the others. And so if we're going to use this uh, chart here that you can see on the screen, uh, we can say that that middle is like the essential matters, okay, of the scriptures. Uh, These would be things like Jesus is God, we have to be agreed on that. And if, if you don't agree with this, you don't understand the gospel is what we're talking about here. If you don't agree with these type of things, then it's, it's, it's impossible to be a true Christ follower. The idea that Jesus resurrected from the dead, we have to be agreed on that in our church if we're going to be a Christ-following church. Uh, the incarnation, Jesus came and was born of a woman, born of a virgin, and lived a sinless life. We have to be agreed on That is essential. There's no room for disagreement here. We have to have agreement if we're going to be uh, uh, followers of Christ. This is what the Bible is abundantly clear about, and this truly is is what some people call would be a test of orthodoxy or a test if we're truly Christians or not. So there's the center one, essential matters. The next one is what we could call boundary matters. Now, these are things that are um, not necessarily a test of orthodoxy, but that there are strong enough differences where it would make it hard to be agreed upon. If we're not agreed on, it would make it hard for us to be part of the same church. And so, for instance, um, the idea of what type of church government The Bible isn't explicitly clear on this. I think uh, the Bible's clear enough, the reason why we make the decisions that we make here at our church. But I do understand that in this argument, there are other Christian people who hold to a different position than I do. Maybe a presbytery form of government. Um, and we don't have that in our church. We don't have a, a, an assembly or an, a council that is above our church that we answer to in terms of authority. We are an independent church. And so there's positives to that and there's negatives to that. And some of my friends, they're more of a presbytery church government thing. And I understand where they're coming from. We have differences. So it's a boundary issue, whereas we don't say that the boundary means in Christ or out of Christ. No, the boundary means, could we really be part of the same church or not? Would it be difficult to be part of uh, if the leaders in the congregation were strongly disagreed on these issues? Maybe like what baptism, baptism is, infant baptism versus believer's baptism, those type of things. Do you have to have some type of agreement on if you're going to function Uh, together as a church. And so, again, it's not a test of orthodoxy. It's not a test of whether or not if someone believes in infant baptism, can they be a Christian? Of course they can be a Christian. Of course, there are many paedo-baptists that are believers in Christ. Of course they are. We differ on the idea of what baptism is, so it makes a boundary issue there. So, So we have essential matters, we have boundary matters, but then we have this other one, what is called disputable matters. This is what Paul is getting at in the text today. Now, these are matters of some people would call matters of the conscience, okay? This is where the Bible is not 100% explicitly clear on, and we have to just kind of make a decision based on the principles and how we're interpreting them and how we think they apply to the current situation. So for instance, when I was in college, 
I had uh, some friends that they worked super hard all week long, all day Saturday, to get all their homework, all their projects done, so they would not do any schoolwork on Sunday. They felt, their interpretation was, this is our day of rest, this is where God wants us to put aside everything, and so that means we cannot work on schoolwork on Sunday. Now, I didn't hold to that. I was working so hard. I was trying to get my schoolwork done. And so there was a lot of times Sunday night, I was, you know, finishing up a paper. There were many times where as I turned a paper in on Monday morning, the ink was still drying on the paper, right? Okay. Uh, and this was before we could email papers to our professors, by the way. And so, uh, you know, these are, these are, there's, there's, there's a difference of opinion on that. It's a matter of a conscience, right? Uh, fair trade coffee. Should you, you have to, the coffee you drink has to be fair trade. That is for some Christians, they believe that's the, the best best way for them to support justice and, and, and equality for people and, and not taking advantage of other people. Other people say, you know, it's this part of a huge system. It really doesn't matter. Folgers, it really doesn't matter. We're just going to go with Folgers, right? I don't drink coffee. It doesn't matter to me. This issue is mute. And my point, school choice for children, the idea of debt. Some Christians say it is sinful or we should not have debt. We, if for my family, it would be sinful to have debt. We are going to wait until we save enough money to buy a house in cash. Other Christians say, nope, it's, it's irresponsible death. debt is what the, uh, the Bible is teaching. Difference of opinion. Alcohol. Drinking alcohol in moderation. Some Christians say that's permissible. Other Christians say, nope. You should be abstainers from alcohol. Music styles, different types of music styles. Christian hip-hop would be in one of those where some Christians would say, nope, that is, that is not good. Others would say, no, that is a great way. So again, even my statement, which I intentionally said in the beginning, when I said a print Bible is better, I put that out there. That is a disputable statement, Right? Okay, now I use a print Bible primarily. I have this, I bring it to the lectern or to the, state, the, the, the podium, whatever it is, because I think it conveys a, a, a symbolic presence that we're opening the word and we're talking out of the word. For me, this is a very important part of what I do every week is I open the scriptures in the presence of my friends, in the presence of my church family, and we open the scriptures and we look at it. I think it's important for me to be able to write notes and then I, and then I can pass pass it on. I've preached so many sermons at funerals where I've been able to look at the Bible of the deceased person, and I've been able to share with everyone what was most important to them. There are so many reasons why I think a print Bible is better, but it's not sinful to use an electronic version of the scriptures. It's, it's perfectly fine. And, I, and so when I said that in the beginning, I said that hopefully that it caused someone to go, really? Huh. That was weird they said that because that's a disputable issue. That's what we're talking about. These are things that we can have difference of opinions on, but it should not cause division in the church. There's no boundaries that should be around those type of things. Let me get into the context of this text here quickly and kind of show you a little bit what's happening and then uh, tell you why this is different than similar passages of scripture. Okay, so here we have that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, of course, and he can't wait to get there. And it's interesting. He sends this letter in chapter one, but he says, I can't wait 
wait to get there to preach to you. He says, you know, the, the letter is good and, and it's good, but, but I mean, I want to see you face to face. I can't wait to get there. But he's setting all that up with what he is writing here. And so he's writing to Christians here. And we know that because it becomes very obvious throughout this text that he, the people he's writing, the differing opinions, they're still Christians. These are people that he says, for God has welcomed them in verse 3. We talk about how that... That, uh, that they are doing this in honor of the Lord. We see that in verses 6 and 7, or verses 6. And then we talk about how that it talks about um, uh, whom Christ has uh, uh, died for, who Christ has welcomed. These are all terms that we know that the groups of people that he's addressing here, they are all Christians. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because we have similar passages and other uh, uh, similar points in other passages of Scripture. In Galatians, for instance, Paul is talking about this idea of some of the things that people were adding to their faith, and he was saying, don't do it. It's a different gospel. So in Galatians, he says, I am so amazed that you are so quickly removed from the gospel. And he says, don't do this. He was talking to a different group of people there. He was talking to a group of people what were known as Judaizers. Now, what that meant is that these were people who said, Christ is important. It's important to follow Christ. But we have to add on the moral law on top of Christ, okay? Or Christ on top of the moral law, depending on how they looked at it. And so he's, they're saying that it is Christ plus something. It's Christ, but you have to obey in order for God to justify you. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians. He's saying, that's sin. That's wrong. That's, that's, that's not salvation. That's not the people that he's talking to here. He's talking to people who are believers, that who are trusted in Jesus, but yet they're trying to work out the implications of what it means to be a Christ follower. So they're not looking at whether or not they eat the, the meat or only vegetables. They're not looking at it as the way that they get salvation, which that's the issue Paul was dealing with in Galatians. He's dealing with groups of people who are saying, we're trying to figure out the best way for us to display our salvation and to show that we are walking with God, not in terms of earning favor with God, but in terms of living out a changed life. And so these are people, they're coming to different conclusions on disputable matters, but they're both believers. It's important for us to understand that, for us to understand what this text is teaching here. They're both doing this in honor to the Lord. They're both believers. So what is he talking about here? He talks about this weak and strong. And so this idea of the weak here, he's talking about um, people who are still working out the ramifications of justification, the idea that they're saved. What does that mean? And how does that uh, manifest itself in my daily life? And so he's saying that some people, that they were saying that they, they, they were so grateful for the, the, the rules that they were living under because it helped them think about God. It helped them understand that God was holy. And so they wanted to take some of that into believers, believing and following Christ, not in the situation of trying to earn their salvation. They knew that following the dietary code did nothing to save them, but they thought it was a way to honor God. And so that's why they were doing that. Paul is saying, you know, they're a little bit weaker in their faith because they realize that there's freedom here. And again, the weak and the strong, don't get too hung up on that because we're all on one of those sides or another depending on the issue, okay? And so this is what he's dealing with here. So it, it is possible then 
And I remember the first time I started wrestling with this as a teenager, I, I had a hard time wrestling with this concept because I thought, look, sin is sin. If it's sin for me to do it, it's sin for you to do it. It's sin for you to do it, it's sin for me to do it. It's pretty simple that way. But that's not what the scriptures teach on all matters. Some matters, the essential matters, yes, that's true. Murder is wrong. It's wrong for you, it's wrong for me, okay? Adultery is wrong. It's wrong for you, it's wrong for me, okay? But there are some other matters where it would be sinful for me to do, but it would not be sinful for you to do. Or it would be sinful for you to do, but it wouldn't be sinful for me to do. Let me give you an illustration. I grew up in a very conservative background. Many of you know that. I went to a college that had a lot of rules, um, I didn't really mind that. I knew what I was signing up for. Didn't agree with all the rules, but they were the rules. And so we had rules of all sorts of things, what type of music we could listen to, what time we had to be in bed, all that type of stuff. And um, I remember one of the rules was that you, we could not go to the movie theater, okay? That was a rule, okay? Couldn't do it. So uh, I remember then... T- uh, going, being a youth pastor, teaching at a Christian school, what that rule was also in effect. It was in the handbook. It kind of stems from the 70s. It was kind of an idea of how we were going to manifest our, our lives as Christians. And so that was a big deal back then. And it just kind of carried forward. And uh, so that was a rule. So didn't go to the movies. But I remember, I hadn't really thought a lot about this. I remember that uh, something happened. We went through a painful situation and went through a church split. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm going to go to movies. I'm going to go to movies. I'm free. I can do it. Now, now some of you are laughing because you're like, what is the big deal here, right? But this is, this is, this is how this works out. I, it would have been sinful in that first few minutes there in those first few days when I was processing that, it would have been sinful for me to go to the movies. But it would have been sinful for probably you to go to the movies. Now, why is that? Because I was going out of a spirit and a heart of rebellion. I wasn't going out of freedom. I wasn't going because I'm like, look, I, I have freedom in Christ to do this. I can enjoy this. This is fine. It, it wasn't from that standpoint. It was, I will show them. I'm going to do this. Do you see the difference? So it's not so much about the action. A lot of it's the heart motivation. Again, I'm not saying the action doesn't matter. Of course, that's an essential matter. But in these disputable matters, these are things that it's this idea of working out the ramifications of our salvation, working out the ramifications of our justification. Okay? So um, remember this. We're talking about triage. This is the disputable category, not the essential category here. And so again, I just want to be very careful about, as we look at this idea of the spectrum of the conscience, I want us to be careful about being too, uh, too, too worried about being strong versus weak or, or whatever, because uh, uh, this is, in every, any particular issue, we are going to have people that are weaker than us and stronger than us on the issue. And on a different issue, we're going to be either on one side or the other. It's just how we're processing this and our conscience and how we've been uh, dealing with this as we've been growing in the Lord. And so this is an example. I got this from um, this book here. I'm going to recommend it at the end of the sermon. Uh, this is called Conscience by Nacelli, Andrew Nacelli and J.D. Crowley. Highly, highly, highly recommend every Christian to read this book. Very helpful book. Short, you know, 100 and maybe 50 pages-ish, somewhere around there, including the appendix. 
Easy to read, but very, very helpful on this subject. So I really encourage you to read Conscience by Nacelli. This is where this graph comes from. He's talking about this idea of eating meat that or not eating meat. This was in 1 Corinthians, in, even in this text here, this was an issue of the day. Should Christians eat meat or not eat meat? You remember back in the Old Testament in Daniel. Remember Daniel, he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And so he didn't eat. He ate only vegetables. God blessed that. These were the stories. These were the rules that these people grew up in. And so it would have been very ingrained in their conscience not to eat meat. And then we have Peter with the vision. Jesus says, rise, kill, and eat. You can eat meat now. That's awesome. But you remember how Peter responded to that? Not so, Lord. Not so, right? This was a huge battle. For us, it's not an issue. For us, we're like, what are you talking about? You know, but for most of us, that is. But for, for this time, this was a major issue. But if you see the spectrum there, you see that, you know, one person on the very, uh, the strongest side, he eats meat that he knows has been sacrificed to idols. This is a, a, in 1 Corinthians. So meat would have been sacrificed to idols. Of course, the idol didn't eat it. So then they would take it and put it in the marketplace and it would be half off, right? So Christians were saying, hey, I like a good deal. I'm going to get my meat cheap. And so we're going to go to marketplace. We're going to go get all the meat that was offered to the idols because they didn't eat it and we're going to eat it, right? And we're going to eat it unto the Lord. And there were Christians that were just understanding that eating meat was not going to, that was offered to idols wasn't going to be a big deal at all. Other Christians, though, however, were saying, wait a minute here. That meat is defiled. That meat was offered now we're, we're, we're basically aligning ourselves with that. We need, you, you, all for a buck? Is that how much that's important to you? Is money that important to you? No, 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 no. We're not going to do it. You see how these matters can spiral out of control pretty quickly. So one person says, no, we're not eating meat at all. Another person says, well, as long as it's prepared correctly, I can have meat. Another person says, you know, um, uh, well, it, it, it's got to be sold in the marketplace, but it can't be known to be uh, uh, offered idols. Do you see there's a spectrum here? One of my students in India, and you remember this is a very common thing in the rest of the world uh, today, um, of uh, maybe not so much in our country, but in India, they have different types of, of meats and things like that that, were, uh, that are considered uh, okay to eat, not okay to eat in uh, particularly Hindu culture, uh, other, other cultures and religions as well. One of my students who is a, who is a Christian, uh, of course now, but uh, uh, I loved hearing the story of, of after he became a believer and uh, his wife became a believer first and she was growing in the Lord, then he became a believer and he was very strong Hindu. And so he followed the rules to a T. In fact, when it came to like if meat, if pork was made in the home even at one time, he would not enter the home. One time he entered the home and he found out and this is a true story. He found out that at one time, pork was made, was prepared in the home. And he immediately ran out of the home and spent the next hour spitting on the ground to get any type of, of, uh, of that out of his system, right? He was very concerned about dietary restrictions, okay? So as he becomes a believer, he starts realizing, well, maybe, you know, I can, I can do these things. And so he's having conversations with some of the other believers and, and who are uh, further along in their Christian faith. And they're like, he says, well, I can have pork then, right? And he says, if your conscience allows you, of course you can have pork. It's, 
it's, it's okay in God's sight, but if your conscience allows you. And he says, I think I'm going to try some pork. I think, I think I get this. So he eats some pork. He's like, ooh, this is good. This is very good. I like this. This is very good. Later on in the evening, they had different types of meat out there. They, should, they, had, they had beef. And he's like, Christians can have beef too. Well, if your conscience allows. But if not, then don't. It's okay. You don't have to. He's like, but if I'm saved and God's freed me, I can have this, right? He says, yeah, yeah, you can, but if your conscience allows. So he's, I want to try some beef. So he eats some beef. He says, wow, this is amazing. His wife comes up to the pastor and says, my husband is growing very fast today, very fast in the Lord, <laughs> all right? And so that was the understanding of his understanding of his freedom in Christ. You see, this is that spectrum of where you find yourselves at. We, we find ourselves in these issues all the time. I like how Tim Keller defines the weak. He says, the weak are any Christians who tend to promote and regard non-essential cultural and ceremonial customs as being critical for Christian maturity and effectiveness. So he's saying the weak are more who would look at something and say, okay, in order to be a Christian, you really, in maturity, you really should be doing this. You really have to be doing this. And again, we're talking about these, in the triage, we're talking about not the essential. We're not talking about the boundary. We're talking about these disputable matters here. So don't let strong versus weak become a source of pride, because I know where you're at right now. You're all looking at this chart and going, yeah, I'm on the strong side, okay? I know how it is, okay? That's how we're wired, right? Okay, don't let that be a source of pride, because on this issue, maybe you are strong, but on another issue, you're probably weak. And maybe there's people who are stronger than you on this spectrum. It doesn't really matter. We each have sin struggles that we need to be cautious of, and for the strong it's the sin struggle is arrogance. We do not look down. That's what he's saying here in the text. He's saying, welcome him. Do not despise the one who abstains, verse 3. We are not to look down on anyone else who has, by their conscience, a stricter code that they feel they must live by. It is wrong for us to despise people like that. And so if you feel that you have freedom to drink alcohol in moderation, you say, look, I'm not getting drunk. A glass of wine once a month is no big deal. You may be right, and in your conscience, that's fine. But for the one who says, no, I cannot, I personally cannot drink alcohol, it is wrong for us to look down on that person and say, give with the program. Come on. That's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, don't do that. So the sin struggle for the strong is arrogance. The sin struggle for the weaker side is judgmental, being judgmental. So same scenario, the weaker brother who says, no, I, we cannot, I cannot drink alcohol in any form because of all the, the terrible effects alcohol has on society and all the things, I am not going to drink that. But I can't believe that that my brother so-and-so over here, that he drinks alcohol once in a while. Doesn't he love God? Doesn't he, doesn't he understand how terrible this is? You see, being judgmental is wrong on that side of the equation. I'm not saying that we can never talk about these issues. I'm not saying that we can't have conversations, but we can't be arrogant and we can't be judgmental about it. So let me bring this to a close here. Bring some application here from Paul's instructions here. That was a long setup 
to what we need to do here, and we'll go through this quickly here. Paul's instructions, do's and don'ts of, uh, about disputable matters. We're going to start negative, so we end on a positive note here. So what are the don'ts? He says, don't fight each other. Verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, welcome the person, but not the quarrel over opinions. He says, don't be fighting about this stuff. Don't be someone who is constantly trying to pick fights about this and trying to argue and try to get people, no matter what side you're on, no matter if you're, you're, you're on the side that you have more liberty or someone who thinks that, that, no, there's too much liberty taken there. Don't pick fights about this. These are disputable matters. Again, remember, we're not talking about the deity of Christ here. Remember, we're not talking about um, uh, the things that are helpful for unity's sake to bind us together and the idea that we have to have an agreement on just structurally and organizationally. We're talking about as we're living the Christian life, don't fight about these things. And we're going to have so many opportunities to put this into practice as we're trying to get out of this pandemic, right? You know, one of the, the key things is the whole face mask issue. This is going to be something that we are going to have to be very, very cautious about, right? Some people are like, face mask, I don't know what the big deal is. This is, this is, this is, it's, it's, it's stupid that we have to wear masks or it's stupid that people, yeah, I'm not going to wear masks. On the other hand, people are saying, don't you love people? Don't you, I mean, it's not for you, it's for someone else. So can't you, can't you see that? You see, there are people that have different consciences formed by this issue, and we need to be very cautious about this. Look, right now we moved this week that the recommended are not required. And so some have masks on, some don't. That's perfectly fine, okay? Be respectful of each other. And so the one who isn't wearing a mask, be careful, guard your heart against arrogance, okay? And the one who is wearing a mask, guard your heart against being judgmental and vice versa. It can be the other way too. Don't be arrogant and judgmental. So don't fight with each other. That leads to the second one here is don't judge each other. I kind of got ahead of myself just a little bit there. We see in verses three and four, let the one who eats despise, not, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. And so he says, listen, it's not our place to judge whether or not and, or, or why someone came to the conclusion that they came to on a disputable matter like this. We can just say, that's their decision, and it's okay. You know, one of the things that I learned a long time ago that was so helpful to me, it was so helpful to me, and it, was, it deals with Facebook, and that is this. I can keep scrolling, right? I, can, I, can, I don't have to get into a debate about everything. I, I can just be like, okay, I disagree. Scroll on. And don't even have to say anything. I don't have to, but when we feel like we have to be, uh, we have to always convince people that my position is correct, man, I am on dangerous territory there of having a judgmental spirit. Not saying that you do. I'm just saying that's what we need to be very, very cautious about is not to be judging each other for the decisions that we're making on disputable matters. We see in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
And he says, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. See, there's your freedom right there. If you think, well, man, they are not living out the Christian life like they should be living here. Well, here's, here's your verse to go to. They will stand before God. God will deal with that. And then earlier he says, who are, verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? He's basically saying, you look at another person in your church and you're wanting to have a judgmental spirit on, on their heart. He says, you don't need to do that because they're not your servant. They're God's servants. They're Jesus' servants. And he says, it is before his master that he stands or falls. He says, listen, they'll stand before Jesus and they'll deal with it in these disputable matters. And so if there's a difference of conscience about alcohol, difference of conscience about, you know, coffee and free trade, difference of conscience about masks and things like that, listen, God's going to deal with that, okay? And we just, our job is simply to respect each other, to honor each other, to love each other, and very key is we don't pressure each other. Very key here. Don't pressure each other. We see this in different places in verse 5. He says one person is going to esteem a day better than another, while another one, every day is the same. He says everyone should be convinced in his own mind. And then verse 6, he talks about how that they're doing it unto the Lord. And so we need to assume that people are doing it unto the Lord. Again, I'm not saying that you never have a conversation about this. And I'm not even saying that you don't even try to convince someone. Healthy conversation and dialogue is good. But just make sure that it's healthy conversation and dialogue and not pressuring people to change their mind because you think that they're wrong on this, on a disputable matter. Have the conversation. You can explain why you came to the conclusions you've come to. That's healthy. That's good. But don't pressure someone to change their, and go against their conscience. Because the Bible says that it is, it says, why do not for the sake of food, I'm in verse 20, 14, destroy the work of God. He says, you don't know, you remember the path that God, that work that God's done in your life over many, many years? That was a journey, right? That took a long time. You didn't get to your conclusions, you know, real quickly, and you've adjusted your conclusions over time, right? Okay, that was the work of God in your life, right? Okay, don't come alongside and start pressuring people to make a decision or, or embrace something that their conscience isn't allowing them to right now. He says, you're going to destroy the work of God. Don't do that. You're going to interfere. You're going to, you're, you're, God's, God's growing this person according to their timetable and his plan, and so we can be patient and we don't need the pressure. He says, and this is what he means in verse 22, when he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, taken out of context, that, this is the reason why we have to read the Bible in context. Taken out of context, it seems, well, okay, I shouldn't evangelize then. I shouldn't tell people about Jesus. The faith that I have, keep it between me and God. It's a very personal thing, right? No, 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 that's not what he's talking about here. Faith, pistol, is also, this word for it, is also belief. And he's saying, the belief that you hold to in this matter, Okay, you know, the conclusions that you've come to on this matter, keep it between you and God. You, you, don't, you don't have to evangelize the world about whether or not you, we can drink in moderation. You don't have to evangelize the world on all the other disputable matters. Don't pressure each other. I told you I want to finish with some positives. Do welcome each other. This is the theme of the text. I just want to point this out so it helps you as you read your Bible. It kind of shows you, you, see, you want to look for bookends a lot of times. You want to look for things that frame a passage. And chapter divisions don't always capture that. Chapter divisions were added much later on. 
If you see in verse 1 of chapter 14, there's this idea of welcome him. Chapter 15 and verse 7 is the idea of this, welcome him. Often, a New Testament writer will bookend a thematic passage like that, okay? And so, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to welcome him. And the reason why, in verse 3, he says, for God has welcomed him. This is the reason why we don't have to pressure people. This is the reason why we don't look down on people. This is the reason why we don't judge them. This is the reason why we're not arrogant towards them. It's because God has welcomed these people. We're not talking about unbelievers. Here, we're talking about other people, people who Christ has died for. And so, it's very hard for me to have an arrogant spirit towards someone else when I see them through the lens that Christ died for them. Then when I see someone and says, okay, Christ loves this person. Christ is doing a work in this person's life. It's hard for me to look down on that person and start being judgmental towards them when I see them in that light. But the problem is, too many times, I don't see them through that light, right? So many times I see them and I compare them, not through the lens of what Christ is doing and has done for them, but what I think that they should be doing in their own lives. This is where he's saying, welcome people. Welcome people in your church. They have a difference of opinion. That's fine. It's too easy to forget that when you're part of a church, it's too easy to forget that we, are, we have been brought into a society that has been formed by grace. This is, when we're part of this, the fact that you and I are in this room together and we're having this conversation over this broadcast, the fact of the matter that God brought our lives together like this is a work of grace in your life and in my life. And I need to view you through that lens and you need to view me through that lens and we need to view each other through that lens. And so when we have difference of opinion walking through, particularly in this time of the pandemic, of what is the best way to respond in all this, you can have your opinions Please do, and you're going to. But let's be respectful and welcoming towards other people. And so, um, that means when it comes to the whole mask issue type thing, we're respectful towards other people. If you see you're not wearing a mask, you see someone else is wearing a mask, there's no judgment there. And you're respectful towards that. And if you are wearing a mask and other people are not wearing a mask, then, you know, you don't judge them. You know, it's, everyone's convinced in their own mind on these disputable matters. So we welcome them. Christ has welcomed us. That's what he ends on in verse 7. He says, not only do we need to see people through the lens of what God is doing in their lives, but we need to remember that we are people that Christ has welcomed, and therefore we need to welcome other people. You see, Christ had to welcome us. Christ had to be someone who did sacrifice for our good, and we are called to do the same thing. We also should protect each other. We see this in verse 13, and I talked a little bit about this, verses 20 through 22. I won't spend a lot of time in this. But he says, don't destroy the work of God. Don't pressure people to do that. In fact, rather, he talks about that we need to make sure that we're protecting their growth and that we are encouraging their growth. He talks about God, about he's the God of endurance and encouragement here. That's what we need to be. That's the posture that we need to have because that is what brings protection to our fellow brothers and sisters. I need to move on, is then we build each other up. We see this in 19, we see uh, 14, we see this in verse 12, uh, uh, or excuse me, verse 2 of chapter 15, that we should do things to build each other up. And so when we're having a negative view of someone about disputable matters, whether it be any of the examples that we've given, 
We're not building them up. Now, you may argue and say, but if I want to help someone mature in their faith, then I need to have that conversation. I can't just let them do whatever they're going to do. Well, a couple of responses to that. Number one, first, you're assuming that your position is the more mature position. You need to be cautious about that, okay? You might be right, but you need to be cautious about that. You need to go back to the scriptures and see about that. The second thing is, remember that God is at work in their life. And we are to simply just encourage them, support them, and build them up. So many opportunities for us to put this into practice. I've gone way over time, so I need to move to uh, the conclusion here. I told you I was going to recommend this book. I do recommend it. This is called uh, Conscience by Andy Nacelli and J.D. Crowley. Easy read. Very, very helpful. Encourage you to read uh, this book, and it will be very helpful to you. At the end of one of the chapters, one of the, I think, probably the best chapter in the book, he ends with a prayer. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this prayer to you, and then I'm going to email it to the church family because this is going to act as our homework, okay? And so what I want to do is I want you to, to look through this prayer, and I want you to, to, to open your Bibles to Romans 14 and 15 when you read through it sometime this week. And then I want you to pray and let this be a, a guide to your prayer life as we're thinking through these matters here. But let me read this prayer to you, first of all. It says, Father, we are finite and sinful people. And for a complex of reasons that you know far better than we do, we disagree with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on all sorts of disputable matters. Would you please give us grace to welcome those who disagree with us on various disputable issues? Would you please give us grace to not look down on those who are stricter than we are? Would you please give us grace to not be judgmental towards those who exercise more freedom than we do? Would you please give us grace to be fully convinced of our positions in our own consciences? Would you please give us grace to practice our freedoms and restrictions for your glory and to assume that other believers are doing the same? Would you please give us grace to keep disputable matters in perspective, knowing that we will all someday stand before your judgment seat? Would you please give us grace to not let our freedom destroy the faith of a professing Christian who is weaker in a particular disputable matter? Would you please give us grace to build each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy? Would you please give us grace to not flaunt our freedom or expect others to be as strict as we are? Would you please give us grace to live according to our conscience and experience your blessing? Would you please give us grace to follow the example of Christ who put others first? Would you please give us grace to bring you glory by welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us? Lord, we are weak and selfish. We need so much endurance and encouragement to live with our brothers and sisters in this way of peace. You are the God of endurance and encouragement. Please grant us to live in such harmony with one another and in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may, with one voice, glorify you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I encourage you to take that prayer. We're going to put it on our Facebook page. We're going to email it out. And just meditate on it throughout the week and meditate on Romans 14. We have many ways to apply this. And um, maybe this text Give us maturity and growth as we go through difficult times. Let's pray. Father, 
We have one more song that we're going to sing here now, and I do pray that we would, um, I pray that we would uh, worship you in this song. I pray that we would be people who are quick to uh, be gracious towards each other. And, uh, you know, we used just one example of the, in the pandemic about masks, but there's going to be so many of other ways to do that, to apply this. And we pray for unity. We pray for love and patience and uh, that we would encourage one another to grow in Christ and that we're patient in that, in your work. So thank you for Romans 14 and 15 and how it's helpful to us. It's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen.